time has come for this Right. Who wants an explanation to the video? <laughs> so, so because we we brought this up last week, we said eat this book is coming up next week, and I think it was Harrison first who was in the front row over here was like what? Um, and we we had made the video for it and everything, and we actually showed it to someone on, on Tuesday, and they're like, hey, you know what you need to add to this video? The Cookie Monster. Because it's just going to enhance it and take it to a whole other level. And so uh, we, we, we contacted the Cookie Monster's uh, attorneys and lawyers and things like that and got them to appear for us very specially for this. But um, we are starting a new series. It is called Eat This Book, and I will get into what it's all about in a moment. But before I do, uh, I want to talk about New Year's resolutions. Because we're at the point of the year where we start to think about these. Uh, the, you know, the new year is coming up very quickly, and it's time for us to figure out what about next year do we want to do differently? Um, and I wonder, have you guys started thinking about your ones yet? No? Well, in preparation for tonight's talk, I actually discovered uh, New Zealand's uh, New Year's resolutions for 2018. Would you like to hear them? All right, so the first one is to not let things like the mumps be the biggest adversary that the All Blacks face next year. Or uh, to finally get rid of the man bun, banning it from all public spheres of life. Uh, third, to adopt the dab as an official recognition of someone doing something great or impressive, thus replacing the thumbs up. Uh, start to see a hypnotherapist uh, who will hypnotize you and try to erase the 2017 election chaos from our memories. <laughs> Discover a new diet that you can add to your existing combo of paleo-vegetarianism so that you can become the ultimate trifecta diet warrior. <laughs> and then finally, beat your record of 500 selfies with the flower crown filter enabled on Snapchat. 2018 is going to be a great year. But... You know, resolutions, they're, they're a firm decision to do or to, to not do something. And New Year's resolutions can be very helpful in changing our behaviors uh, or, you know, it, it might enrich our lives. But that's only if we actually take on the challenge rather than give up three days into January. For me, I can probably count on one hand the number of resolutions uh, I've actually been able to keep. Uh, and I'll share a couple of them with you that I'm very proud of. The first one is that I, I managed to go for a whole year without reading, out reading, eating uh, McDonald's or any other kind of similar junk food. I, I managed to get through that year by eating copious amounts of burger fuel, Subway, and sushi and fish and chips, but McDonald's and Burger King KFC weren't on that list, so I was good. Um, another, another New Year's resolution that I'm quite proud of is actually a couple of years ago, I was having quite weird... Uh, digestive and stomach issues. I'd be woken up at 3 a.m. with horrible reflux and things like that. And so we did some research and it, and it came up that I should cut out certain things for my diet. And so this was timely around the time of a New Year's resolution kind of thing. And so I was like, all right, I'll go for a whole year without um, eating red meat or eating or drinking any fizzy drink because those were the triggers that we had identified. And so for that entire year, I went without red meat and I went out without fizzy drink and uh, I had a great year stomach-wise. Um, it actually was really, really good for my health, and it was, it was one of those things that I, I was really thankful that I did because it actually set me up uh, for future years to actually be a lot healthier, which was good. 
Uh, but I realize that most of mine tend to revolve around uh, diets and, and watching what I eat. And I know for a lot of us, when it comes to New Year's resolutions, there's the common thing of, I want to eat healthier, I want to exercise more, I just in general want to have a better lifestyle. Like These are the things that, that come up regularly uh, when we think about uh, New Year's resolutions. And um, the reason I bring all this up, I bring up resolutions and I bring up diets and stuff like that, is because I think it links well with the series we're beginning tonight. Eat This Book is a, is a series about how we approach the Bible, how we use it, and whether or not we need to change elements of our spiritual diet when it comes to the Bible. What's our spiritual intake like when it comes to the Bible? What's our diet looking like? Um, in, and the title of this comes from a passage in, in Revelations, uh, which I really like. I think it's a beautiful picture of how we're supposed to interact with Scripture. Uh, but of course, Revelation is a crazy book uh, written by John, uh, who's having a number of visions of crazy, crazy things. And um, at one point, this angel is presented in front of him. And this is like a massive, huge awesome angel who has like one foot on the land and one foot on ocean. So like, I like to imagine it as like his one foot on the face of Australia and then one foot in the ocean and like, we're, and John's in New Zealand just like being like, oh, this is amazing. Um, and this, this angel is, is reading the scroll, uh, the scroll of, of God's word to John. And in the middle of him doing this, John kind of interrupts and, and goes to him because he wants, he wants to take notes, he, wanna, he wants to write this down, he wants to capture what the angel is saying. And so uh, he goes up to the angel and says, um, I, go up to the, I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. So I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tastes as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And I really like this for, for two reasons. Uh, the first reason is John is like desperate to understand what the angel is, is saying to him. And so he's got his little notepad and thing, and he goes up to the angel like, hey, can I have it? I'll, can I get a copy? Just like we did at university. We'd, we didn't want to go to class. We just copied our friend's notes. Um, and he's like, he's like, no, 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 no. You, you can't just copy this. You have to eat this. You have to digest this. This has to become part of who you are. And I find that really interesting in the context of uh, in, in this, it's like the angel is speaking God's words to John. Uh, and for us, the, the scriptures, the Bible is God's words to us that we can read and take on. And I like it in the context of that because it opens us up to the fact that when we receive God's word, we have to take it as a whole thing. And there's parts in here that are real sweet and really happy and really fun. And then there are parts that are really uncomfortable and can make us feel a little bit sick or a little bit kind of you know, angry or upset about it. And I like that. I like, I like that approach because we, we do like to kind of like chop and change the Bible, make it fit our agenda or make it fit our lifestyle, use scripture, sometimes out of context to reinforce habits we might have. But what it's saying here, what this angel is saying to John is like, hey, regardless of what this says, you have to take it all. You have to eat this book. You have to eat this scroll. And so the Bible, uh, when we read it, it does nourish us spiritually. It should be uh, th that thing that nourishes us. But the, the question we're raised when we think about it this way is, is the Bible in our spiritual diet, is it like, is it the thing that we, we regularly eat? Or is it like the Magi noodles that are sitting in the back of our cupboard that we only go to if we ever have an emergency, when there's nothing else to eat, where it's uh, 
I'm in a crisis, I need a bit of a scripture to console me, or it's, I've just come back to Easter camp, I need a really good Facebook status. Um, you know, is it, is it one of those things we only reach for uh, in times of emergency, or is it something that we actually truly, regularly chew on and digest? I recently had some blood tests done. Dora, I'm okay, I just have this weird thing where my uh, body likes to retain more iron than the normal person. Uh, the normal person has under 100, kind of like whatever's of iron, I don't know the correct terms. Uh, my, my body likes to keep around 500. So I, I, I guess you could say that I'm like Iron Man without the suit. <laughs> Thanks, Harrison. Um, but yeah, no, so I recently had some blood tests done, and I, I think it's quite amazing. Not the whole process of giving blood, that's horrible. Uh, but the fact that they can take just these little vials of blood and analyze your blood work and be able to tell you anything about you in terms of where your health is at, whether it be, uh, like for me, how much iron is in my blood or how much sugar is there, whether there are things that shouldn't be there, down to the point of they can tell what you've been eating in like the last 24 hours. So let's say if you have KFC, they can, they can know if you've had KFC. Um, like that's, that's kind of crazy, uh, but awesome. And I, I love the fact that, 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 that science can do that. that. From a few droplets of our blood, uh, these guys can figure out what's going on for us. But it made me think, when I, when, I, when I received the results of my blood test, it's like, what if we were to somehow be able to do some kind of spiritual blood test? If we were to somehow offer our spiritual blood and for it to be analyzed, what would it look like? Would we see it as really Bible nutrient-rich and healthy blood? Or would we be anemic in some area? Would we be lacking in some area? Eugene Peterson, who wrote a, a book, actually titled Eat This Book as well, uh, writes this about, about this whole thing. He says, Christians feed on Scripture. Holy Scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it, take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions in all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name. Hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. That's kind of cool, eh? That's cool. The Bible is, is, this, is an incredible thing. It's this incredible uh, collection. It's 66 books long. It's got different authors from different points in history, all offering different perspectives. It's all writing that God inspired. God delivered the words to the people that wrote this. And that by themselves, the individual books have their own challenges and have their own narrative and are inspiring and are full of teaching. But then together as this whole bigger narrative, it reveals God's heart for us. It reveals God's character to us. It's, it's humanity's journal of our interactions with God. That's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's amazing. But still, we don't really treat the Bible with much awe and wonder, do we? I mean, this is my Bible here. It was given to me by a friend of mine back in 2009. And he gave it to me because we'd had this conversation. He said, any, any speaker uh, who has a Bible needs to have one of those Bibles that can wobble around when you're preaching so you can like shake it in the face of people and things like that. Um, so he got me this one because, as you can see, it's got a good waggle to it. Um, uh, and so I've had, I've had this one for a long time, but I, to, for, 
the purpose of tonight, I actually dig it, had to dig it out of a cupboard. For tonight, not because I don't use scripture for my sermon preparations and things like that, um, but just because uh, we now live in this world of technology where you can look up everything you need to on your phone or on your computer. You, can, you have the links to all the uh, concordances and things like that instantaneously. Um, so it's mainly for that reason. But for the last good period of its life, it sat on a shelf gathering dust and, and not being used, not being open, which to me is, is quite sad. We, we live in an age currently where we have these kind of old technologies, these old things that are slowly starting to, to die and to disappear. And it's a shame that the, the, the written Bible might become one of those because it's being replaced by a digital platform. There's something slightly sad about it. But it made me think, um, because I, I watched uh, Hector Ridge again recently, and it made me think about this, because uh, as you know, Desmond Doss, who's like the main character of the movie, is this incredible guy who spends an entire night on this ridge plagued with Japanese soldiers, and he's got no weapon or anything, uh, and he's just trying to save as many people as he could. And so throughout the night, he's going, Lord, just give me one more. Lord, just give me one more. Uh, and the thing you notice about Doss the entire time throughout the movie is he's always carrying his little Bible with him. Uh, but the thing that stood out most to me about this fact, that rather than just him carrying it through everything, it's this moment where he kind of gets hit by this grenade. And he's pretty wrecked. Like, um, they've got him on a stretcher and they're about to take him out of the war zone completely. But he's lying there on the stretcher and he realizes he doesn't have his Bible with him. And he goes, stop! My Bible! My Bible! He refuses to leave this like super dangerous situation until his Bible is returned to him because he's placed such a high value on the words that lay within these pages. For his mind's been sitting on a shelf for a good part of eight years. I think normalizing or being casual with the Bible is actually really common in our Western culture. You would never see a Muslim being casual with the Quran. The Quran is... is is a prized possession. It's always placed uh, as the highest object in, in their home. It's beautiful. If you ever look at one, it's kept in pristine condition. It's a beautiful thing to behold. It's seen as a treasure. There's this kind of awe and wonder about it that the, that the Islamic people have with it. The same thing can be said about in countries where there is strong Christian persecution. The Bible is desired. It is... Uh, they are desperate for it. And when they have it, it is celebrated and honored as an instrument of life-giving freedom. People are dependent on it. I've seen numerous videos of these underground Christian communities in these countries that are persecuted. And they are receiving a secret shipment of Bibles. And they're grabbing them and they're crying and they're weeping and they're holding the Bibles to their face. As if it's the most precious thing they've ever received in their entire life. As an example of this, uh, North Korea, who's been in the news recently, uh, for the last 12 years has actually been one of the largest leading countries in, in Christian persecution. There is actually a huge amount of secret underground Christians in North Korea, but they're heavily persecuted by the government because it's outside of the regime of North Korea. Uh, but external organizations have been working with these underground Christians in North Korea trying to get Bibles to them. And uh, desperation has led them to uh, risk their lives trying to get Bibles into, into the country. And they've done this in a few ways now. They uh, currently use Bible balloons. 
And so when the winds are cooperating with them, they, they fill these balloons uh, and they're filled with uh, the Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest of all the Gospels. Uh, and they release them up into the sky and let them float uh, towards um, North Korea. And then they, they come down eventually in different locations due to the number of holes that are poked in them. Uh, also, for 30 minutes every day, Christian North Korean defectors in South Korea broadcast the Bible in North Korea by reading it, uh, the Bible in a, Korean, a North Korean dialect. Some uh, North Korean refugees in China hear the gospel in the underground uh, and, then, and believe it, and then they volunteer to return to North Korea carrying Bibles and radios capable of turning those, uh, being able to tune into the Bible radio broadcast I talked about before. Some organizations smuggle Bibles in North Korea via North Koreans or ethnic North Korean Chinese past the Korean border guards who are bribed to let them in. In response to this, in t- response to this trying to get this book into North Korea, they try to shoot down the balloons and arrest those who pick up the balloons despite the false warnings that the balloons are poison laced. Everyone is required to spy on everyone else. A neighbor overheard listening to a foreign radio station let alone the South Korean Bible reading broadcast, is required to be reported. Kindergarten children, kindergarten children are taught that if they see their parents hiding a book at home, they are to bring their book to class to win their game of hide-and-seek and receive prizes. A child who thus brings a Bible is then fettered in front of other kids and then ends up in a prison camp with his or her parents, or an orphan given to a couple more loyal to the regime. And finally, agents of North Korea pose as underground house church cells, luring and trapping believers. All this to stop the spread of this book. And that's just North Korea. The Bible is a special thing, special in a way that many of us can easily forget or may have forgotten. James uh, Newbigin, a British theologian, missiologist, missionary, and author once met with a Hindu scholar who was a scholar of world religion. And this, this Hindu told him, he said, I can't understand why you missionaries present the Bible to us in India as a book of religion. It is not a book of religion. And anyway, we have plenty of books of religion in India. We don't need any more. I find in your Bible a unique interpretation of universal history, the history of the whole creation and the history of the human race. And therefore, a unique interpretation of the human person as a responsible actor in history. That is unique. There is nothing else in the whole religious literature of the world to put alongside it. So this, this series we're, we're doing, this series, this, this Eat This Book series, it's an invitation. It's an invitation with a challenge. Together, let's rediscover what this Bible is and how it needs to be a regular part of our walk with Jesus. Through the power of video, let me reintroduce you to the Bible that you carry around. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. 
But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets, and they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually they were conquered by the Babylonians who took them away into exile. Then at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible, what's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the law. That's Israel's five book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believed that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this second temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other Second Temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. We've got these other Second Temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible? So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years, and from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. 
The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. Okay, I think I got it. But how does a collection of books produced over a thousand years by all these different authors tell one unified story? Yeah, that's the question we'll address in our next video. Cool video, eh? So that's, um, they're done by the, the Bible Projects online. Uh, feel free to jump online and check those out because they've got a whole uh, series of videos and they're all uh, fantastic. I think you might even get the next one in Colin's talk next week, but we will see. Um, so our Christian tradition stands on the shoulders of our forefathers, just like it said in that little video clip there. Everything we do today comes from people interacting and wrestling with the words here in this book. It's a, it's a book of hope. It's a book of freedom. It's a book of truth. It's a book that has built justice systems. It's a book that has been used as a catalyst for change. It's a book that comforts. It's a book that challenges. It's a book of stories where God interacts with his people. It's a book that is alive, the words that have impact. The words have impact not only for today's readers, but tomorrow's readers, yesterday's readers, and the readers from 300 years ago. It's a book dedicated to the creator of the universe that chooses to reveal himself to us through the written works of literary genius. It's a book where time and time again we're presented with choices and then we've made disastrous decisions, but it tells us that God never gave up and never will give up and through these words, we're presented with the ultimate choice, which is, of course, Jesus Christ. It's a very special book. And we live in a time now, and it's a wonderful time, where now, more than ever before, we have the technology, the research, and the resource to be able to translate the original written text and written works to give us more clarity, more understanding of what God is sharing with us through these pages of Scripture. And we can do it all from... It clicks on our smartphone. It can bring up anything. A few taps on our phones. That's incredible. But it, it leaves us with a question. It challenges us. It says, what is going to be our contribution to this ongoing dialogue that revolves around the pages of this book? What is our involvement with this going to be? What is God wanting to say to this generation through the lessons learned and the stories told on the pages of this collection of paper? My, my personal fear, and it's, it's one confirmed by my own actions, that, is that we're drifting further and further away from this book. Drifting away from the incredible narrative of redemption that it contains. And that's maybe because we've grown up in a church environment where it's become normalized or it's been delivered to us in a way that is boring. Maybe it's because we don't actually know how to interpret what we're reading. Maybe it's because we don't know where to start. Maybe it's because we're being confused by it, angered by it, put off by it. Maybe because what you read describes a God that is bipolar and fickle. Maybe because we don't view it as revolutionary. We, we don't see it as life-changing. It's just another book of religion that sits in the shelves, in the libraries, and in the bookstores. Tonight I want to invite you again to look at this book differently. Allow God to give you a new perspective as you dive into these pages because 
there are too many cases of lives being changed to ignore the power held within these covers. I once heard the story of a guy who was desperate for cigarette papers, and he found a Bible and recognized what it was and began to use the pages to roll his tobacco in because they're quite thin and good for that apparently. But he understood that this Bible meant something, that it was, it was a book, uh, you know, and he treated it with a slightly bit of respect and he would read the pages before he would smoke them. <laughs> he would go through, rip a page, read it, both sides, roll it, smoke it. And through this process of just like innocently, unmethodically approaching the Bible and reading the words and reading the stories held within those pages as he smoked a cigarette, he encountered Jesus in an incredibly powerful way and his life was truly transformed. So tonight I want to do two things in closing. The first is to invite you back into your Bibles, to dive back into the words held in these pages, whether it be finding your physical copy of it, Maybe it was like mine. It's sitting on a shelf somewhere covered in dust, gone all stiff. Diving into it and having a, having a read. Or if, if you're like the majority of us and you have your phones, you download the app and so you can read the Bible there. And may, but maybe reading isn't your thing. Maybe reading is too challenging, too hard, and you're more of, you like to listen to things. The uh, Life Church Online Bible app has a brilliant uh, audio Bible that you can listen to on your daily commute. Uh, or as you're driving on road trips as we go into summer. But there are so many ways for us to be able to read this again. So my, my first challenge and my first invitation is to get back into this. Get back into the Bible this week. Colin's going to talk to you next week about kind of more of the ways we should approach this book, approach the way we should think when we read things and describe the different elements and parts of it. So he's going to go in depth to give you some really good tools for that, but part of the challenge we want to set you guys up with as part of the series is that over the summer, uh, you, you pick a book and you actually study it over the course of the summer. Um, because it's, it's all great to do these series like Fire Stories, we talk about people who have done stuff before, and then series like The Pursuit, where it's like, come on, we got to get out of the boat. But the question you're always left with is like, how do I actually do that? And a key component of our spiritual diet has to come from this. The second thing I want to do is, is show you another video. Now, this video is of a guy called David Bowden. He's an incredible spoken word artist. Amazing. I saw this guy first uh, back in 2010, and he is truly incredible. The thing I love the most about him, he's absolutely passionate about God and about God's literature, God's scriptures. And so the spoken word I'm going to show you uh, is called I Believe in the Scriptures. And after the video plays, the band will come out and play uh, a song, and then I'll come back up at the end of that just to close this up. But uh, let's roll that video. In the beginning, there were words. For no sky nor dirt, rocks nor birds, heaven nor earth, death nor birth had yet been given proper syllabification. So nothing physical had yet entered creation. But despite the lacking of material manifestations, there did hang one true enunciation. Words. 
words of God. Spoken script, speaking scripture, holy writ, the writing builder, building mountains out of nouns, plants and herbs from active verbs, planting nations in punctuation, preparing solar positions with prepositions. Nature's narrative was rich with adjectives, but... Man was dirt and needed an additive, so God added his imperative, impairing the dirt of its ability to be sedative. So came the breath of life, the words that made dirt our relative. We are born of Bible, letters formed our limbs. How can I deny God's words when they are written on my skin? In this breath of life, God breathed to begin, an exhalation for the ages, the inspiration of men. You know the words of which I speak. You've memorized them. They are the Pentateuch, Torah, history books, poets, major and minor prophets, synoptic gospels, acts of the apostles, and their epistles. They are our scriptures, those ancient divine whispers scribed by enlightened scriptures passed down to modern listeners. The mouth from which the universe was founded is the fount on which our scriptures are grounded. Listen to where the Bible was originally sounded, for it's far better than what we have have lobbied or from traditions copied or our own doctrines embodied that scripture says that scripture is God breathed that means the breath that filled the nostrils of the ground the life blown into dirt the exhaling heartbeat that made the simple renowned that is what can be found in what has been written down so I believe in the scriptures where God has breathed the breath of life where we find the vows between eternal husband and earth earthly wife, where saints and martyrs find comfort for their strife, and stone hearts come to get cut with a knife. I believe in the scriptures. When God breathed on dirt, he got man. When he breathed on man, he got words. The words are not in the dirt, but in the breath. The breath passes from man to man until they return to dirt, the eternal chain of command, the passing of words, and now the words are in our hands. But so often they're only found behind our lips or on our eyes within church doors in red and black lines printed on shirts our commitments disguise what we say is truth our lives claim is a lie but I believe in the scriptures. For those scribal scribblings refuse to stay on the page. For they give life, so life is required to be paid. The words in your Bibles are not meant on paper to lay, but to be resurrected in your flesh as you die to them every day. I believe in the scriptures. For by them, through them, and to them I was made. For they are the words of Genesis, the exodus of shame. They are the words that form my bones and the ones that will call me from the grave. They are the ink on my flesh, the pen on my tongue. They are the words by which creation has begun and through which recreation will be done. They are the words of God and we are his listeners. I believe God still speaks. I believe in the scriptures. Why don't you all just stand with us as we finish tonight worship. Seeking your truth, knowing 
songs inspired by the words in here to not be inspired and lifted up and um, something else as, as I was praying and thinking about just now is that um, we live in a world currently that is just vying for your identity it's vying to tell you who you're supposed to be uh, and, and, and now more than ever is a good time to dive into this to read the promises and the things that God says about who you are to him uh, and so my hope is that this week, as we go from this place, is I hope you feel slightly inspired to f- dig this thing out and, and, and then actually dive into it a bit more. Uh, because I, I truly feel that as you, as you do that, you discover not only more of who God is, but you discover more of who you were created to be. Because you discover the, what the relationship between you and God is supposed to be like, as you just, just explore and discover through here.
So I'm going to pray. And then these guys can play, play some more for you if they want to. Um, but yeah, this week, dive into your Bibles again. And Colin is going to do an incredible job next week helping you along in that journey as well. But Father, I thank you so much for each and every single person who is here in this place tonight, Lord. And uh, just like uh, David Bowden said in his little spoken word, you breathed your life into each and every single person that is here. And that's, with that same breath you breathed upon man, and man wrote the words that you asked him to write. And that's what we have here, Lord. And so I pray a simple prayer, Lord, that you look after each and every single person as they go from this place, Lord. But I pray that you inspire them as well to dive deeper into your word, whatever that looks like, whether it's opening the Bible for the first time or opening it for the millionth time, Lord. I pray you create special opportunities for uh, us to interact with you this week through the words of your scriptures. May we discover something new about you. May we be uplifted. But at the same time, Lord, may you not hesitate to challenge us. Because through challenge, we grow. And so, Lord, I pray for that for us as well, Lord, as we, as we go into our week, into our workplaces and places and all those different things, Lord. But I thank you for each and every single person here, Lord. May they know how special and unique and precious they are to you, Lord. How desperate you are for them to come into interaction and into relationship with you. Father, thank you that we get to be part of this. Pray for a wonderful rest of our evening together and that everyone has an incredible week in your name.